You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Tassob here. Happy 2019 to everyone. Excited to be joined by Gabby Porter from NLC DC. She's a 2016 fellow. She has some thoughts on what folks should learn from the midterms and what we should look forward to politically in 2019. So let's get to it. All right, Gabby. So yeah, a lot happened in November of last year, and you had some some thoughts that you put in a great Medium post that uh, NLC was able to blast a little bit, so we wanted to have you on. What kind of things stood out to you headline-wise from what happened in late 2016 in the midterms? Oh, man, lots of stuff. So I think the most exciting thing for me was seeing the, not just seeing Democrats take back the House, but seeing the sort of Democrats that... Uh, came to the forefront and the ones that are getting a lot of press. I know everyone was talking about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but um, there's all kinds of fresh, young, exciting energy in the new Congress. And then when you think about what led to those types of folks running and those types of folks winning, I mean, obviously everyone can make different guesses, make different hypotheses on how that happened. What things have you, after given a chance to think about it, really felt like got people over the top? Yeah. Um, so I think that there are a, four really like important qualities that led to successful campaigns. Uh, the first one is candidates being themselves. I think that um, anytime a candidate uh, is lays themselves out on the table and is honest about who they are, what they care about and why they're running, that resonates with voters. And it um, sets them apart from the sort of cookie cutter politician that we've become accustomed to seeing. I think that we also have seen um, people who aren't afraid to stand up for something and stand up for something with what they believe in is really important. Um, And then finally, I think that candidates who approach running for office with uh, a servant's heart is really important and voters resonate with that. So one of the things I'm curious about, curious about, because I definitely agree with what you said is candidates will Candidates coming up in the future will hear those lessons, take those lessons to heart, and then try to copycat it in a way that actually is wildly inauthentic and not sincere. You know, you sort of think of Cortez as an example. You can imagine how many candidates now are going to try to make mac and cheese and talk policy on Instagram, but that's most likely not a comfortable setting for the majority of people. How do you, uh, or how would you advise folks to still be authentic, but then take some of the lessons of the things that we saw happen? Sure. Um, The macaroni and cheese scene uh, worked because it was her. Um, I think we all saw a little bit of blowback after Elizabeth Warren announced that she was thinking about running for president. She announced her exploratory committee, uh, her having a beer on Instagram Live. And it was the same sort of setup, but she got a little roasted for it because it didn't feel like her. It felt like her pretending to give what uh, she thought voters would want to see. it would have been a lot better for another candidate to sit down and maybe you know have the conversation with their family, or um, I'm not I don't know a ton about Elizabeth Warren, but you know sit down and maybe do the conversation over knitting or something that feels real and feels like uh, your voters are going to actually believe that you're doing that and doing it in a way that's uh, honest and authentic to yourself. And then, do you have a sense of what will happen when? conservatives take these same lessons as well and start trying to run campaigns that speak to folks in the same way that progressives had a lot of luck with in in 2016. What do you think happens when you have two candidates who are doing the things that you're advising folks to do? Yeah. Um, I think then eventually it's, it's going to come down to what matters to voters and not only are candidates talking about who they are and, and what's, what's real to them, but what is real to voters. Um, 
a candidate can be really chummy and someone that you would want to sit down and have a beer with. Um, but if they're not talking about policies and articulating a real vision uh, for what is going to make the people in their district or their state or their country make their lives better, it's going to fall flat. That's really where we're going to see progressive pull ahead of conservatives. And then what kind of things are you feeling or hearing in D.C. presently? Obviously, the shutdown is is crushing to so many folks in terms of livelihood and, and stress levels and those things. Do you see, you know, beyond that frustration with the shutdown, even more momentum building for candidates wanting to get in the mix and, and change things as they're happening? Or you feel like it's still pretty focused on the present and the new house taking over and things that are very much uh, happening in the next couple of weeks rather than happening in the next couple of months? Sure. Uh, well, it's really interesting. Um, just as <laughs> yesterday, I was sitting down with another NLC alum to talk about what is happening and uh, what comes next in politics and, and for campaigns. And um, 2020 is already here. Presidential candidates are already recruiting staff, building campaigns, setting up offices in Iowa. So we're going to start seeing a lot more people declaring that they're running, thinking about running for president. Uh, we're going to see a lot more movement in Iowa and some of those other early states. So while we have this momentum and this really exciting new Congress to do some hopefully really great work, um, it's going to be all about the presidential race in 2020 way before we're ready for it, I think. <laughs> and then if you were running the DNC, how do you feel like you would make such a crowded field, something that's, that's fair to candidates, something that's interesting to the public at large? Yeah. So I think that some of the important, uh, some of the reforms that the DNC instituted in the, um, in the last few months have, have been really important, but I think that the most important thing is going to be giving candidates equal air and space to talk about what's important to them. And, um, really stepping back and letting voters decide who is the right choice for not only Democrats, but for Americans. I think one of the ideas I'd love to see, and I don't think anyone is going to pick this up and listen, but maybe if you are, hey, this is my good idea free for you, is especially on the debates, I feel like there's a real opportunity for two things to happen. One, just a lot of like entertainment value eyeball stuff. You know, if, I don't know if you ever watch basketball, but there's the NBA draft. And so the draft itself, kind of interesting, but not really, but what gets a lot of press is when the teams are picked for what slot they're going to have in the draft and each team like sends a representative and it's kind of hokey and funny and silly. And, you know, there's ping pong balls that kind of spin around and then someone pulls out a ping pong ball or pulls out an envelope and you kind of see what position you have. I feel like there's a lot that Dems could do because you have so many candidates to, to have it, you know, kind of be a random draw of, of how, uh, the, the candidates themselves are on the debate stage and with whom and have an interesting mix of folks, um, you know, and do maybe one hour of this group and then they come off and another hour happens. Um, you know, do you see any creative ways that they can really leverage the fact that they'll have so many interesting candidates that people are going to want to watch? And it's actually a good way uh, to control media narratives and to control airtime. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I don't watch a lot of basketball, but I love this idea of being able to uh, like mix people up. I think that's important because uh, there's obviously going to be a ton of people uh, in the first like handful of debates and, and first handful of uh, experiences. So we're going to, instead of just giving everyone literally five seconds to be able to say something important, I like this idea of maybe some smaller, more selective things to mix things up, get different people in different rooms. Um Ultimately, I think it's going to be a really exciting opportunity to have so many people running. Um, 
you know, I'm a big believer in primaries. I think they make candidates and the party stronger and more effective. So I'm excited to see what sort of new ideas uh, we'll be able to get when we put a whole bunch of smart, interesting people in a room together and uh, make them duke it out for our <laughs> for our votes. Yeah. And maybe last thing on the debates, what do you think the odds are that the DNC would commit to having one issue debates? Because I think we saw this with the GOP when you have so many folks on stage, like you just mentioned, it's just a couple seconds to try to make a point and that leads to trying to be an over-the-top personality rather than actually be somebody who's smart and intelligent. And we saw the consequences of that. But if it was just debates on, hey, we're just doing climate change, it's a deep dive, or we're just doing healthcare, it's a deep dive, and that was the 45 minutes or 60 minutes, do you think that's ever a realistic possibility? You know, I'm not sure. I think there's still a lot to be decided by um, who is going to be leading the DNC next year and as they kind of staff up for the next cycle and see what sort of personalities we get in leadership positions. Uh, but I think there is something definitely to be said for a deep dive debate. I think it's going to make, like I said, our candidates a lot stronger and give voters uh, a better idea of what policy positions actually are instead of just that, you know, 30 second soundbite. Nice. When we come back, we'll ask a few more questions about life in D.C. and what we see ahead for 2019. We'll be talking to Gabby Porter. Thanks for listening to The Zag. We'll be right back. Yeah, Gabby, whenever I have D.C. folks on, uh, I always ask this question, what's it like when, what's it like in the city itself when an, an administration switches over? Does it feel different? Does it sound different? What actually happens? Uh, it's really interesting. So uh, in the weeks after the 2016 election, uh, it was like a funeral. <laughs> uh, just lots of quiet. It, there was definitely a different pall over the city. But one of my favorite things about D.C., um, I'm not a native. I've only lived here about six or seven years. But one of my favorite things about the city is there's this whole city that operates outside of the government and the administration. And while maybe the blocks surrounding the White House are a little bit different, and um, if you go to a you know a, a ritzy bar downtown, you might find a different crowd uh, sitting at the bar next to you. If you go into some of the neighborhoods, they're exactly the same, and life has continued to go on for them, um, which is really fantastic. And I love the vibrancy of the city, and I like that there's this heart to the city that stands up no matter who is in the White House or who's in Congress. Yeah. And then in terms of your NLC class, when you were a fellow in 2016, you know, what kind of composition of the class exists? Does it tend to be a little bit more political just based on where you are? Or is it actually a pretty good diverse mix of professions and maybe different parts of the, the DMV represented? How does that work? Yeah. Uh, so it's really interesting. Um, to see the fluctuations in classes through the years. When I was a fellow, we actually had a ton of public health um, policy walks in the class. And we only had a couple. Um, I was actually the only like hard campaign person, someone who had like spent their, their lives working on campaigns. Um, but it fluctuates from year to year. And we've actually grown as a area. We now have two chapter, uh, three chapters in the DMV area. There's the DC chapter, the Maryland chapter, and the Virginia chapter has their inaugural class this year. Um, and as it's grown, it's been really fantastic to kind of see these people who maybe wouldn't have identified as a DC fellow come in and be welcomed to the fold. And I love seeing the interactions between the three chapters. I'm really excited for this upcoming year. Yeah, that's great. Hey, last thing, give us um, the way that you consume political news? What kind of website should we, should we be reading? What kind of things should we be keeping an eye out for? How do you make sure you stay informed? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So I have to say I am, like many other millennials, just absolutely addicted to Twitter uh, all the time. (laughs) My husband makes a little bit of fun of me for it, actually. But um, beyond that, I always like to check in with, you know, the big two, New York Times, Washington Post. Um, I love Politico. And then I actually really like to see what my friends are reading and what my friends are writing. Um, The new leader, NLC's um, sort of political... uh, and policy journal has been fantastic. And it gives me a bit of an outlet to things, how things are happening on the ground. I think one thing about living in DC is you do definitely kind of get into that DC bubble. And it's always really good to stay connected with things that uh, I might not hear about here in DC, but are important to communities that we're supposed to be working for and representing. Great. Listen, thanks for coming on. Thanks for all your work out there in D.C. Keep it up. And thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Zag. You can find all episodes at the places you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher. And don't forget, we have special bonus pods up right now, all 20 of our new NLC fellows in L.A. that will start actually this weekend training. We did mini pods with them, five minutes to get a little bio out and so you can know them better. They're very inspirational. Check it out. They're all there. Until we talk to you again, take care.